Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 37. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the Umbrella Academy's own Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. Hey man, that show is good. I know I've been telling you that you need to start to watch it, but I'm still not done with it yet, but it has definitely been worth my time. So when I asked you if it was a cartoon movie, and you said no, I guess I should have been more specific, because I watched about 10 minutes, and there was a talking monkey, like a like a chimpanzee who spoke English. Okay, so it is based off of a comic book series, but it is not animated. I didn't know that that's right, what you meant yeah. by it. You're, you're, yes, you're there, technically correct. There is a talking monkey, and a robot, and time travel, but it's great. And a dude who's just like way too big. I don't know what his story is, but well, you find out what his story is later on. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil it. Do you know the answer? I do know the answer. Okay. All right. You, you won't be spoiling it for me, so just let it rip. No, I can't. I can't do that to our <laughs> podcast listeners who are like, I really want to watch this, and you just spoiled. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I could see Corey Roth watching this show. Yeah, this is as far from Downton Abbey as you can get. I guess I'd need to watch Downton Abbey then, because it seemed like the same sort of thing. They're in a house. They're speaking with English accents. I don't know where to. I don't know where to go with this. I can't. I don't <laughs> want to argue. Let's uh, let's go into the Star City. <laughs> yeah, we we had so many sort of changes and shakeups to the perceived meta. From what happened at the Star City. We have the Leaving a Legacy tournament coming up in about a month. We have GP Niagara. And we have the first MTGO Mox qualifier. I don't even know if it's a Mox, but the Legacy only qualifier coming up the same day as the Leaving a Legacy tournament. So oh, really? I feel like that is going to more set the tone for the meta for Niagara than the star city did but we're already seeing we're already starting to see the machinations of the changes in the meta from the from the results of the star city even in the challenge as early as this week dude that kind of sucks i didn't realize that till right now so i have i only have 20 of those legacy points you'd be able to get another 15 by the time the tournament rolled around yeah and i thought that the time the tournament rolled around was march 24th i didn't realize that the uh that's the cutoff for getting points. I wouldn't be able to play in both events, though. No, you wouldn't. Is, it's going to be yeah. in the morning that Saturday. So unless you brought a laptop and dual boxed as you were playing, it probably wouldn't work out. That really sucks. I, I wonder if it starts at 10 a.m. And if I could go like 2-0, I could just cruise. But if I take a loss early, then I could just bounce. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But you're you're never gonna have extra time between rounds because you're playing Esper. Yeah, God, I don't even know if I would play Esper online to be honest. But we'll just play Belcher online and play Esper at the Leaving a Legacy tournament, and you'll have enough time to play your Belcher <laughs> games between rounds. This is true. We talked for an hour and a half last week about our own personal experience from Syracuse. Which was relevant because we were mostly in the winner's bracket, so we talked about relevant decks, but we didn't actually even discuss who the top eight was or like what decks made the top eight. And there's there's plenty of legacy podcasts 
out there, especially now, there's like five new ones every week. So I imagine people know what top aided the Star City, but just as a refresher, I guess, we had two is it or is it fucking Star City, two blue red Delver decks, uh, a Grixis control deck, uh, black green, like a Turbo Depths, uh, black red reanimator, blue white Delver, Miracles, and mono red Prism. Yeah, I I know that there are a few people that called blue-red with Light Up the Stage, and I hadn't played enough online to be able to interact with that deck specifically, but it came out in force for this tournament. And I guess if you sort of expand it down to not just the top eight, but a little bit further, two-color mana bases, specifically blue-white and blue-red, just crushed this tournament yeah 100 percent, and that's that's twofold right that's blood moon and that's back to basics and to a lesser extent wasteland because it seems like grixis control our grixis delver kind of underperformed but just having like a solid to wasteland mana base being less susceptible to blood moon and being less susceptible to back to basics was i think like a necessity in smoothing out the the early variants and really just like a strong game plan for this format i don't feel like you're losing all that much power going two colors right now no absolutely not and there was an article on star city where they did a data analysis for the matchup matrix for day two so every match that got played in day two got plugged into a matrix and grixis delver just got bodied the entire day i do not believe that it had an overall positive matchup it, it may have had one or two, but the blue-white decks, blue-white Delver, blue-white Stoneblade, and the decks that had a better mana base did much better in day two. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I would definitely believe it. And it seems like the decks that blue-red, or I'm sorry, Grixis Delver is specifically there to prey upon aren't in this top 64 or whatever. Like we're not seeing a lot of sneak and show. We're not seeing a lot of ant in this in this uh, Star City representation. So it's a lot of decks where I would think that blue red would actually have the edge, and blue white as well for that matter. Yeah, there was kind of a lack of combo. I'm not sure if it was a lack of combo in the overall meta game for Star City, where it was mostly a bunch of fair blue decks fighting against each other. I I believe I only played against combo three of my 15 rounds but obviously that's just one experience with what i played against are you counting phoenix's combo no i i'm sort of counting phoenix's mid-range i played against reanimator sneak and show and storm okay so i i know that the phoenix deck sort of counts as combo but really i feel like that deck just sort of plays a mid-range game plan yeah i wouldn't the... count it as combo either i agree yeah so but obviously, that's just the 15 rounds that I played. Yeah, and I only faced two combo decks and didn't really see a lot of them sitting near me either. So that's that's my take. I think here's the big question that everybody's asking coming out of the Star City heading into future events is, here's what happened in Syracuse. Here's what happened in the Open. Here's what happened in the Classic. If you take a look at the Classic... Again, there are solid two-color mana bases. You see Stoneblade and Miracles, and 
the the decks that you would sort of expect to see. And yeah, Death Shadow is just blue black Delver too. You know, if you think about it that way. It, yeah, it is. So what? So what happens now? That's the big question that that sort of needs to get answered. And that's sort of what I was on going into this tournament is expecting to see blue white Delver show up, and that's how I got to like the bigger Stoneblade deck. So you know, trying to jump this meta game, and I think that you know to some degrees that that worked out and that would still be my advice except it seems like the meta's already made that adjustment now yeah i think that you were sort of a tournament ahead of where you wanted to be to where people overall didn't know that the blue white decks were going to do as well as they did you predicted it but i just never faced any too right like making making a meta call for a low percentage deck that you think is going to do good just probably isn't going to work out in your favor but now people know all right blue white is a target and blue white stone blade goes over the top of blue white delver and it's actually one of blue white delver's worst matchups because they're almost pre-boarded for you yeah so the new sort of target i feel like is that that blue white stone blade deck where it's it's got the mana base, it's got the matchup against the Delver deck, and the decks that are going to combat that are starting to creep back in, mainly Grixis Control. So what about Miracles in this equation, though? So if we go straight to Blue-White Stoneblade, but I'm curious about Miracles' role in that sort of triangle. So I feel like I feel like Stoneblade is just better overall than Miracles. Like it's better probably against just the rest of the field, up... you mean? Yeah, it's just it's a better... It's a better blue-white deck versus everything else. And obviously in the in the mirror, Miracles goes over the top of that. Right. But I feel like the innovation that the blue-white Delver deck had in main decking Flusterstorm, sort of being pre-boarded versus combo in the blue mirrors, can actually be applied to the blue-white Stoneblade deck. I see no reason why Stoneblade can't start to main deck some number of fluster storms in anticipation of K command and get splash benefit from combo hate where generally stone blade isn't super great against combo. Cause you don't have a great clock. Right. And being able to know that you have a good chalice matchup and pre board for combo and miracles slash Grixis control makes it, makes it so that deck can be, can be really resilient. Yeah, I would really want to test that Miracles like post-board matchup before I took it to something like Syracuse. And we have a lot of weeks, obviously. But I would want to make sure that at least it was, you know, reasonable. Not, I don't think it's going to turn into some great matchup or anything, but just have some sort of plan, which I felt like I didn't have leaving Syracuse. Yeah, I think, the one, it was unfortunate that you got paired against Miracles four times out of your 15 rounds. Yeah. But... Maybe it was just me coming from the blue-white Delver side really feeling good about my Miracles matchup. I I feel like the Stoneblade deck is definitely not favored against Miracles. But with the addition of Flusterstorm, it makes it a little bit easier. It does. You know, the addition of any cheap interaction, right? And I guess if you're in uh, blue-white Stoneblade, you can play Rest in Peace too in your sideboard, which is which is pretty helpful. Well, I I got a message from my friend Jake 
who actually finished ninth on breakers. And his exact quote for me about my sideboard was cutting surgical extraction was some galaxy brain shit. Why didn't you yell at me more? And I, in my blue white Delver deck, I didn't play any surgical. I played rest in peace in, in grafter Vickers cage. Oh, I didn't know that. I, when I was doing my sideboard map, I found that there was a little, like, I, I definitely wanted Grafdigger's Cage. And there was a little bit of sort of pushback between bringing in Cage and Surgical in all of the matchups that I wanted Surgical and having Snapcaster Mage. And one of the reasons why I really wanted Snapcaster was, like, Snap Surgical. And obviously, like, if you draw both of them, you're probably happy because you have that, that graveyard hate in play. But I found myself wanting Rest in Peace more than surgical in almost every other matchup other than lands and reanimator. And I feel like the deck had a positive matchup against reanimator anyway, given all of the soft counter magic that was in the main deck, plus a pretty good clock. And I was willing to sort of sacrifice the lands matchup a little bit. Um, when I made my board plan, I mean, rest in peace is still great against lands though. It's not like, uh, like as bad as is in the black red reanimator case, I don't think. I don't think you're sacrificing that much by playing rest in peace over surgical. I'd rather have surgical, but it's by a smaller amount, I'd say. Right, I I agree with you. Yes. I also I didn't realize that you'd done that. I, I made a similar call with Nile Spellbomb actually. So my my hate right now is containment priest rest in peace Nile Spellbomb, getting off of surgicals entirely. Yep, I had a containment priest as well, and it ended up working out really well given sort of how how the cards that I had in my sideboard were applicable to other matchups. So obviously the Priest comes in against Reanimator, but it hits Sneak and Show as well. The Cage comes in against Reanimator, but it hits Elves and other things. So I feel like being on a bunch of Surgicals might weaken you to the rest of the field and... If you're running Flusterstorms and Spell Pierces and Dazes and Forces main deck, maybe you don't need the Surgicals in the sideboard. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. I would be on zero or one Surgical, personally. So, total total cosign on that. And maybe that opens the door for Black Red. Well, we'll see. Niagara Niagara's on Easter. Yeah. And, uh... Putting some Grizzle Brands into play on Easter seems, uh... So playing old school, there's a card called Resurrection from ABU. It's, yeah, uh, it's two the white actual... White. Yeah, yeah, double double white two. Just bring a dude back. Yeah, do you think Mono White Reanimator could be strong on Easter or what? Uh, I mean, you get Chancellor of the Annex. You can reanimate Iona. You can Elish put an Elishnorn into play. Yeah. Uh, I... I feel I feel like it's still not going to be good, but you could do it. You, you gotta have faith, right? You couldn't pay me to play it, but <laughs> maybe maybe Craig Wesco makes an appearance and uh, shows everybody what's up. It'd be interesting, man. Keeping it lively, dude. Anything goes in Legacy now, right? You can play whatever. Well, I mean, you can play whatever as long as you have brainstorm and ponder and force. Or you can play whatever as long as you have Chalice and Trinisphere. Like, yeah, you can play whatever as long as you have some sort of legacy power package included. Man, you mentioned Chalice. I'm looking at this classic right now. It just wasn't there, huh? Well, I think, so in all the tournaments leading up to this, 
Chalice, Chalice was a huge percentage of the metagame. So I think I had said a few weeks ago, if you're going to show up to this tournament, you don't want to show up with a deck that's going to lose to Chalice. You don't want to play those games. If the field is going to be X percent Chalice, you, you don't want to bring that deck. So if you look at what decks people brought, they brought decks that beat Chalice decks. And that sort of makes sense from a mentality perspective coming into a tournament. Yeah, for the most part, I would agree. And this is a Star City too, so nobody has buys, which is important to keep in mind. Like well, especially I mean, there, the there are a few lucky people that do, but not not a lot. It's like sixteen, right? Uh, maybe it's thirty-two. I remember I had a buy for a few Star Cities in a row, and I was like, "This is this is amazing." <laughs> But it's not nothing like a Grand Prix where you have half the field starting some round other than zero. True. So, yeah, you, you're going to have to play every round, basically. And you're not going to be able to, you know, wait wait two or three rounds and let some of the Chalice decks lose to variants themselves. That so is true. I could definitely see people making choices that were, you know, more geared toward beating Chalice. I mean, we both did that, right? We both consciously chose decks that climb the curve better to play against chalice absolutely and uh the other thing is spell pierce right like i'm not sure that i would be bringing a blue deck that didn't have two to three spell pierces right now i agree and that's one of the reasons why i sort of mashed up a few different blue white builds where i fell in love with the Flusterstorm main deck i think that's that build is amazing but, Are you talking about a single Flusterstorm? Or? No, well, I was running two. Okay. And I, right now in my build, have a flex spot where it might be three. But I I knew that I wanted my soft counter magic to be split between Spell Pierce, Flusterstorm, and Spell Snare. And I feel like I find, found the sort of sweet spot to, to where I wanted to be. But I didn't want to have all Flusterstorms and no Spell Pierce. So my my deck my deck list changed a little bit because of that. You're talking about going forward? No, in the tournament. I played oh. I played a two pierce, two fluster, one snare split. Oh, okay. So I didn't want to go as all in on Flusterstorm as the M hold on. Yeah. As as the Magic Online list that was popularized by M eighty four. Something like that. 89, maybe. MW94GA. There we go. There we go. That is the classic MTGO name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I didn't want to go as all in on Flusterstorm. And Harlan's build had more spell pierce and zero Flusterstorm, but it sort of played like a mid range deck. He sides out his Delvers a lot. And in my sort of natural playstyle, I. I tend to like the tempo aspect. So there are very few matchups that I side out the Delvers at all. Um, and, and my board plan and main deck and his board plan and main deck very, very significantly. Dude, so on the matchup spreadsheet that you sent to our Discord, you left the, the blue-white stone blade portion blank. And I was like, I wonder if he did this because he's going to side out the Delvers and didn't want to tell me. Like, that was, that was my theory. But... You're saying that you, you probably wouldn't be doing that? No, so my, my blue-white stone blade board plan right now is just plus two disenchant, minus two swords. 
and Esper is a little bit different. I I was trying to figure out the, the, when I sent that to you. That was like the rough copy. Yeah. And I hadn't figured out my map for the Stoneblade matchups. Yeah. Because I really wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to be, and I realized against Blue White, you cannot play a mid mid range game. Like you can't both side into Stoneforge decks because you're just gonna lose. Agreed. So you need to you need to bank on your delvers and your early interaction getting there. And that's obviously tough against verdict, but I, I just side out sorts to plowshares to bring a disenchant and try to play the tempo game plan, regardless of whether or not I'm on the player draw. Well, I mean, you're a wasteland deck. You can keep, you can try to keep them off verdict that way, you know? Yeah. But the blue white deck is so resilient. Like I'm the blue white delver deck with 19 land. Yeah. And I can fetch, I, I can get four basics to cast Verdict. It's this, the Wasteland isn't going to actually be an issue unless you draw a natural mana light hand that includes Tundra. And generally they're only playing two. So it's unlikely that's actually going to happen. Yeah, that's true. You don't have Stifles or anything like that. So That's a good point. So, yeah, I, I think though, you mentioned Esper, uh, I think with uh, if you're looking at Strixes, then you probably do take out Delvers, right? So, I think that against Strix, you take out the Niv Magus, but Esper Stoneblades generally only only has like two Strix, right? Usually three, but yeah. And obviously, running a Delver into a Strix is tough, but that that sort of clears the way for your Stoneforge to be able to get through. And the Esper Stoneblade matchup is probably worse than the blue-white matchup, unless you can wreck their mana base. I I feel like you're also on that tempo plan, and if they end up resolving a Strix, then you just need to jam your true name through. So, both... Yeah, I mean, you still have more true names, right? Right, I'm, like you're playing four. Or the blue-white deck is playing four, Esper's playing two. So you're, you're on a try to jam early and get your tempo through hope that they cannot get access to their basics and wasteland them. And once that fails, or once they've equalized, then you try to jam your true names through and protect the zealous that your opponent's going to cast with your yeah. cluster storms. And so, you still have a sort of fire and ice in the board, right? I don't know. So my new oh. sideboard map doesn't. So I'm only playing the two equipment. And I, I had a map that included like 18 cards and there were, there are four or five cards that I considered, but didn't end up making the cut. And one of them was a Sophie. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. With, with the resurgence of Baleful Strix, like with the Grixis control deck specifically, I would think that Sophie stock would go up as a, as a way to push through like a Delver or Stoneforge. Uh, but in if, the event if that you you're, don't have a true name. Right. If you're thinking about Grixis control and Baleful Strix specifically, more equipment might not necessarily be the right answer. Like, you have enough Flusterstorms to take care of their K commands, but bringing in extra artifacts against the deck that has main deck K commands and is probably bringing in a Braid against you might not be the best, but I haven't I haven't tested that matchup fully to know exactly what you want for it. Yeah, I can... Uh, we can continue this, but I can give my thoughts on that a little later because I, I did test that matchup this weekend. Okay. And, uh, I don't know, it was interesting. It was a little different than what we're talking about right now, but 
if we want to get back to this uh, tournament, I just realized that the dude I played on Elves day one came in third in the Classic, so that's awesome. Charles, congrats. There you go. And next week, not to spoil it for anybody, but we're having a guest host because Ian won't be here. I will not. So for all of the fans of Ian, uh, you can tune out next week because there will be there will be no Ian and we'll only have like four listeners. You won't be able to hear my washing machine going off in the background if you just heard that. Or my dryer, which actually just turned off, so we're good. No, dude, I think that was my dryer. Oh, okay. I was just automatically assuming it was mine. Yeah, mine's directly under my ass right now, like <laughs> six, six feet below me in the basement. You're, you're sitting on it as you're recording. <laughs> you got to get off, bro. But no. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm just saying, like, uh, I got to go on vacation. You know, you know what it is? So. Yeah. Are you going on vacation so you can set up your escape? for niagara because yes, man 100 percent. okay as long we're, as we're going as long to we're fucking, on the same page we're going to be in south beach bro like that's not my dream vacation that's that's my that's all my wife so my, good, my dream vacation good for like, you taking one for the team and going to south beach yeah my dream vacation is like wrangle island which is like north of siberia or like uh centralia pennsylvania if you ever heard of it do you know about centralia pennsylvania is that the city that's still on fire yes it is (laughs) it is it's a it's a ghost town full of sinkholes because uh they didn't put out their their trash burning during like one of their fourth of july parties and the coal mine underneath the city caught on fire from uh burning trash and the blaze just kept going under the city for about 10 years until the gas station, somebody was like changing, you know, putting oil in the gas tanks. And uh, they realized the temperature of the, the gas in the gas tanks was like 150 degrees Celsius. And they're like, what the fuck is going on here? And the, the whole town just erupted in sinkholes and such over the next five years. That would be a fucking vacation that I would want to go on. I think you and I have different ideas of what our dream vacation is. Yeah, it doesn't appeal to you? No, I mean, I I would not mind getting the Eagle Scout badge for <laughs> living in a post, post-apocalyptic hellscape, but I think I'd rather go to Europe and uh, take a detour and play in the Bazaar of Moxen and then do like a two- or three-week trip around Europe. That sounds pretty sweet, too. I'm not going to lie, but... There's definitely something about Fallout IRL that appeals to me. All right. All right. Now I know why you're playing Esper. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I guess Blue White Stoneblade showed up too in the in the classic. I hadn't really hadn't looked through these results, but we had our our buddy Jeremy Tibbetts uh, finish top eight with uh, Blue White Stoneblade deck. And then just outside in ninth, uh, Josh Pellerin finished uh, ninth with Blue White Stoneblade as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the reasons why we don't see the Delver version is that the Blue White Delver deck was not very well represented in the meta overall. But its conversion rate into day two was pretty good. Well, wasn't it like nine players or something crazy like that? Well, it was five players who made day two. 
I don't know how many people played it day one, but it was not a lot. Okay, maybe nine was uh, Stoneblade plus Delver. Yeah, I, I believe it was five Delver, five blue white Delver in day two, and four blue white Stoneblade. Okay, that makes I, sense. I could be wrong about the math behind that, but uh, blue white Delver was probably one of the less or one of the least represented total meta decks to make day two. I mean, I'm sure it was more represented than lands or some of the goblins. The other, yeah, goblins. But the the percentage that made day two was significantly higher than a lot of the other decks that were there. I mean, I would imagine with five copies that it it was a high conversion percentage, but I I couldn't speak to like how many people played blue red or something like that. So, right. But uh, we had a listener question actually about. One of your favorite cards, uh, Lavinia of the Third Ravnica, or whatever her name might be. Yeah, the uh, one that the one that we had the cut argument about. Correct. Yeah, that's you called it unplayable garbage. I I I said it was a bad card. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, what what is the listener question? The listener question was, what do you think about uh, the list, the top eight list, which is Jeremy Tibbetts' list? Uh, top eighting the classic with Lavinia in the sideboard. So since we know Jeremy, I reached out to him, and his answer was for combo and miracles specifically, and that he never drew it in the tournament. But All right, he, I, he suspects that it's it's a good card. So I can definitely see how you could you could choose that card. To fight against Lion's Eye Diamond and Lotus Petal decks, for sure. And I actually didn't put the connection together about how it fights against Terminus. Right. So so that's another interesting way that you can use that card. I'm not sure if you want to bring it in against the Swords to Plowshares deck, but Jeremy was running a main deck Caracas, so you can, you can save it in response to Swords, just... If your opponent's setting it up correctly and you have a Caracas at play, then that Terminus is just going to also eat a Swords to Plowshares out of their hand, and you're going to have to tap your Caracas. But that card's not bad. I know you you do not agree with me, but I feel like against, against Lion's Eye Diamond and Lotus Petal decks, as a blue-white deck, you really need to figure out how you're going to attack that. And one way is Flusterstorm, and another way is actually playing a copy of Lavinia. And permanent-based hate bears, they're good. Storm Storm has so many discard spells that your counter magic sitting in your hand has a timer on it. And if they get enough draw steps and cantrip looks, they're going to be able to figure out a way to navigate around your counters in hand. So having something like a Lavinia or a Canonist really, really makes a lot of sense. And since the Blue-White Stoneblade deck is a Snapcaster deck, it's it's really tough to want to bring in Canonist when you want to snap, when you want a Snapcaster Mage, right? Yeah, I would think that Meddling Mage might be more appropriate for this deck than Canonist. But like for my deck, I'm on Canonist because Snapcaster Mage is more of a secondary thing. This is a, like a three Snapcaster deck, so that makes a lot more sense. Yes. 
So what what I found, at least from my side, and obviously I have Delvers, was that the meddling mages weren't needed, that I felt like I had a good enough combo matchup as is. And obviously against great storm pilots, my I think that I have a good matchup becomes not that. But yes. um there are there are so few great storm pilots that I think I think it's actually just valid to ignore them. And this is something that Harlan had said in one of the group chats we're in for the deck is that since there are so few great storm players, you can almost just ignore them. And by storm, you're, you mean specifically ant here, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, ant and tests, like you can count on one hand, the number of great test players. And on the other hand, the number of great storm players, right? Yeah. I just feel like you run into tests even less at these big events. Like it's, it's such an afterthought in my opinion. Right, but the the sideboarding guide and the way that you sideboard is so similar between them that That's even true, if you yeah. even if you lump them all together, like you're only going to play Caleb or Bryant or Cyrus or Ethan or Brandon or like I can just list the people who I know that are excellent with the deck and it's very unlikely that you're going to play them. So why not just sort of ignore it? Yeah, yeah, that, that seems seems reasonable. I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way. Uh, you play it so much online that I just sort of have it slotted in as this five percent deck, but it, it probably is less in paper. I I believe it's like significantly less. If you're talking about good players, especially. Yes, because I feel like you take an average player that's on Ant they they are not going to have the skills to fight through your soft counter magic right like they're the players who maybe picked up the deck recently they might be okay with it but they're gonna they're going to thought seize you and see three pieces of interaction and just get down on themselves rather than the masters who are like all right they only have three pieces i know exactly what my lines are and what i need to dig to anyway that's just that's just something that that you might want to think about. Yeah, so you wouldn't consider Lavinia for blue-white? Uh, not the Delver deck. For the blue-white Stoneblade deck? I mean, maybe. Okay. But I, I think that a better avenue to take is maybe try to include some number of Flusterstorm in the main deck. Yeah, there are none here, huh? No, and obviously that's not that's not standard for a Stoneblade deck. The Delver deck plays a little bit more of a tempo plan, so you can you can play Flusterstorm to win the Counter Wars, but why not side a little bit for those blue mirrors and you might be able to fit a Flusterstorm or two into the main deck. It looks like both these decks are on back to basics, the two top finishing blue white decks in the classic. Would you expect uh, any blue-white Stoneblade deck to have some number back to basics at this point? Yes, but you would also expect them to understand that people know yep. that back to basics is coming. And if you look at the decks that are sort of coming up, right? Blue-white Delver, blue-red Delver, the Hexsteps, I guess. 
those are decks that are kind of resilient to back to basics. So that was kind of my plan. I meant to play in the challenge, actually. I would have had the time this week, but uh, with the clock changing, I kind of fucked it up. I was going to play Miracles and just cut the back to basics, going along with uh, the same line of thinking that you just mentioned. You were going to play Miracles in the challenge? I was. I was going to just try it out. I thought we were friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I have this, like... Uh, this app is maybe post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't know, but I just want to play four mentors and just fucking get people. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a new podcast that had their first episode this week that had cardboard live zone, Wilson Hunter, <laughs> the Epic storms, Bryant cook and Anarog. Did you hear the first episode? I did. Yes. So Wilson had made a passing comment about how there he really wanted to see somebody build a blue white stoneforge mentor shell. And I was thinking about how you could put together a Delver Stoneforge mentor package and include something like AK in that blue white tempo shell. And I sketched out a few lists, but it was basically blue white Delver without the true names running running a little bit of extra card draw with AK in addition to all of the other stuff. Okay. Sounds interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a Delver deck with AK before. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly helps your spell count. Yes, absolutely. I would... Yeah, I'd like to see that. I, I didn't do anything in that direction. I have experimented with a mentor in the sideboard of the blue-white deck, but uh, I've, I've never thought about putting it in the main deck. But I was just thinking about like straight miracles builds, and uh, what you know what I like, like what's what's been effective, and it seems like you have to play around back to basics at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like the the playing around back to basics is built into the deck when you understand that people are still going to play Blood Moon. So if you're playing a deck that has a has enough basics that you're resilient to Blood Moon, you're going to be resilient to Back to Basics. And so what do you really want the main deck for at that point? The the Depths matchup, any stray lands decks you might fight against, and Grixis Control, right? And that's yeah. about it. And for main deck, really, it's the Grixis Control. So if you talk about Blue-White Stoneblade versus Grixis Control... In the main deck, if you don't have a Haymaker like Back to Basics that they cannot remove, you are going to kind of get ground down because of K-Command and Snapcaster. So your Stoneforge doesn't do a good enough job pulling you ahead against that deck. And Back to Basics is your, all right, I'm going to slam it, and the game's over. Yeah, I mean, they have no answer in their in their main deck, and pretty much in their sideboard too, other than just straight counter magic, which you can play around. Well, Pyroblast does it too. Right, in the sideboard, yes. Yep. Actually, the, the Grixis Control player I played against on Saturday did have one Power Blast main, so... Yeah, I mean, it's... It's not unheard of. If you're playing a deck that has a good enough non-blue matchup that you feel like you're going to be able to, to, to take care of those with a dead card in the main deck, why not hedge a little bit against blue? 
Because when you go to these larger legacy events or you're playing online, I mean, people are playing blue. Blue's the best color. Blue has the most consistent spells to cast. So playing main deck Pyroblast, playing main deck Flusterstorm seems like you can get a little bit of an edge right now in the current meta. So you want to move on to the challenge then? Well, what I want to do is I actually want to move on to your tournament. Oh, the the 1K? Yeah, because you, you were talking about being on Miracles, and I want to know exactly what happened that made you ditch Esper. Oh, well, I had... So I've played nine leagues now with Esper online, and they all take upwards of two hours. It's not fun, <laughs> but... uh if I started at 10.30, I'm going to bed at 1 a.m. But I basically have gone 3-2 in six leagues and 4-1 in three leagues. So I have no 5 O's with Esper, but infinite caches, right? It's, it's just like the most medium of decks, and I'm really struggling with the Miracles matchup. But I've been trying out some new stuff this week in wake of the Syracuse tournament. A bunch of, a bunch of stuff that had like snuck into my mind during that tournament uh, and talking to dj on the way home he's always a bad influence with regard to keeping decks tight because he has some crazy ideas as i'm sure you learned on the way up uh and the way back <laughs> so he put thirst for knowledge into my head so you're playing strix i have main deck engineer explosives we have the equipment he's like why don't you just free roll a thirst for knowledge so i gave that a shot I was wanting to screw around with uh, Search for His Kanta anyway, and Lingering Souls. And then some other cards I tried were like the main deck Sword of Fire and Ice, uh, Bitter Blossom, and that might be it actually. Uh, no, I tried Mission Briefing, that was really bad in my, in, uh, my experience, but basically I found that the, the one card, the card that was like three stars, the best card in my opinion, was Search for Escanta. I, I actually just think it's it's just correct if you're playing Esper to play that card at this point. It's really, really fucking good. And so at the tournament, I played uh, a main deck Search for Escanta, no Wastelands, so I played uh, an extra... I cut a Tundra and two Wastelands from my last build. Played an extra Plains, extra Island, and an Academy Ruins. So you had five basic lands? I had five basic lands, yep. Okay. And, uh, sorry, six basic lands. And then also an Academy Ruins as like uh, the 21st land. And I played one Thirst for Knowledge. I found Thirst for Knowledge to be pretty underwhelming too. Yeah. But, uh... I, I pretty I pretty much cruised in the tournament. I went four one, but the the ant matchup that I played was pretty interesting actually. I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Game three, I have him hellbent and I've surgical infernal tutor to get mm-hmm. the last card out of his hands. And I have four souls on the board and he's at uh twelve life. I'm sorry, sixteen life at this point. And I have a Zealous on top. So there's nothing he can do from zero cards, right? He has an LED in play, though. Yep. So he draws, passes. 
I know I have a Zealous on top of my deck, and I have four souls in play. So he's on a four-turn clock right now, but the Zealous would make it a three-turn clock, right? Yep. Would you keep that Zealous, or would you fetch it away? I have nothing else in hand, by the way. Okay, so he has one. they have one card in hand. Correct. You have a Zealous on top that will cut one turn off of your clock. Correct. I keep that. Yeah, I kept it. And I so I crashed for four. Yep. And I was I was going to use it the next turn. Yeah. To sort of represent something and to keep him off of like an ad nauseum line, perhaps, because that was still one of the cards left in his deck that I right. I thought could possibly get me. Yep. So he draws, then I crash in again, take him to four, and he draws his second card, and the, the two cards he ripped were Cabal Ritual, Dark Petition. And so, he Cabal Ritual, Dark Petition, got passed in flames, flames and then killed you. Yep. Yep. So the the reason why I keep that is it takes a, a whole extra turn off the clock. Yeah, I still, I, I kind of like my line, man. Like, I regretted it, in, obviously, because I lost. But right, I, but, like, if you fetch that away, I don't know how many live cards you have in your deck at that point, but it's probably somewhere close to 25%. And when I surgicaled him, he had two Xantid Swarms in his deck. So, like, dr- even drawing one of those would add a turn to my clock because it's 4-4-4-4. It's four, 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 four. Right. So I can not only take a turn off the clock, but decisively do it in that, like, if he gets a Xantid, I can, I can blow that up too. So it won't give him that extra turn. Right. And I think you're probably at the point right where there's enough lands in play to where spell pierce wouldn't do it exactly and you're looking for force of will thought seize fluster storm and i think that you're pro- you probably only have seven outs out of your deck out of however many cards are left and yeah, taking well, a full turn off the clock is is worth it so at that point i had in my deck two Force of Wills, two Snapcasters that I would have been happy to draw. And then a bunch of other cards, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think you made the right call. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, I think so. That, that's good to hear. Because uh, it didn't work out, obviously. But that was my only loss. I beat uh, Food Chain, Death and Taxes, Grixis. And then the last round, actually, on camera, I played against Pat. I guess it wasn't streamed because of some tactical difficulties, but it's going to go up on YouTube. Okay. But uh, I got him in too, but uh, the way that the breakers were, I I knew that we could probably, I knew that he could safely draw at 100%. And I had a two point, like a, a edge by two in the, the, the first breaker, whatever it is, match win percentage or opponent match win percentage. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't totally safe to draw, but I was like, yeah, you know, let, let's draw this because we we split obviously, and if I lost, I was if I came in ninth, I was still actually really happy with that because I wanted to do a trade with the shop owner Eric Dupuy, uh, great dude who had an Alpha Soul Ring that I've been trying to get for a while now, and all those cards that I forgot to bring to Syracuse that I wanted to vend off a bunch of foils, so it was actually worth it to me to to miss if, in the event that i did miss so you you split with pat in round five when you were both three and one yeah 
you beat him, decided to draw, and then finished ninth on breakers. Exactly. And, and, but I was totally fine with that, and I was I was really happy with that outcome because we got the trade done. I got my alpha soul ring, and uh, I was rewarded with uh, you know that Beck song where it's at. I got two stone forges and a batter skull out of the deal, so I was happy with it. All right, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Beck fan. No, you know, that was that was my my time growing up. I guess Beck was like ninety ninety five ninety six. Yeah, but man, that was that was awful. I I was a I was very anti Beck. Really? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't terribly pro Beck, but like I don't know, man. At the time of Champion Z's, I was a monkey. Like you know, I love that shit. Yep. I don't know. It was a guilty you're, you're on You are on your own there. There was so much better music in the 90s. And, man, I saw Captain Marvel this weekend. And that soundtrack was killing it. It was exactly what I used to listen to on WBCN and WFNX in <laughs> Boston. And it just it brought me back. It was like a 90s soundtrack? Yeah, so it's set in the 90s. So the whole soundtrack was was 90s uh alternative and it was amazing so you're gonna have to film me is this like another superhero movie it it is another marvel movie so it it will be a movie that you do not see but um but it was worth it It was okay excellent is this with the chick who's not allowed to play baseball or something uh there is there is a female lead yeah i do not know anything about not being able to play baseball okay I know what you're talking about. It's like Brie Larson, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. I do know what you're talking about, kind of. Okay. So yeah, that was a. Uh, it was a really fun day. Uh, Justin light up the stage. Lutz was there, and uh, we went out to get Thai food afterwards. Pat, Justin, and I, because my trade took two hours. So Pat actually advanced in the top into top four, and I got to watch his game, get my trade done, and then go out to get. Uh, 3S spicy Thai food, which was pretty fucking great. Now, did they actually give you the full, yeah. Bro, the full so, three, the triple chili pepper? So she started talking shit to me, actually. She's like, you want four? <laughs> <laughs> and you're and like, I, yeah, let's do it. No, I was like, wait, okay. So the menu had, had 1S, 2S, or 3S, but no dish was listed as 3S. So I was yep. like, look, look, make it 3S, all right? She's like, how about 4S? <laughs> and the fact that they didn't have anything on the menu that was even 3 and she was willing to go to 4. Yep. I was like, let's, let's just do 3. And it, I could have gone to 4, honestly, but it was good. It was still very spicy. So I enjoyed it. Good good work. Yeah, it's It sounded like a great time. There was no way that I was going to be able to pull off doing Syracuse and this tournament back-to-back. I'm lucky that I got the go-ahead to do the Leaving a Legacy tournament and Niagara in the same month. So I will be there for the Leaving a Legacy tournament. And actually, we're going to be doing another fundraising drive. So we're going to announce some prizes and things we're going to be giving away, but we're going to be doing another canned food drive to benefit the same food bank that we did at the last tournament. Hell yeah. So yeah, I'd like to get the word out about that. So can one of our prizes be a counterspell play, Matt? It can be. It can be DJ's, DJ's. counter spell play mat. Wait, DJ donated it, right? 
DJ Seko. Yes. We're Fon- finally going to give away his playmat. I wonder if anybody's ever called him DJ Fonseco. I think that would be a good nickname for him. Uh, DJ Prosecco. That would be better. What's that? Is that a, is that a liqueur as well? That that is a, that is a sparkling wine. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> DJ Prosecco's uh, counterspell playmat. Get at it. Bring some uh, cream corn. Hand it in. I wonder if Dominic's coming to the uh, Leaving a Legacy Open. So, yeah, Dominic, Dominic, if you're listening, you can have the spare bedroom again. <laughs> uh, if you want to come up, you got to you got a place to stay. So we've got that tournament. Then the next ELD is actually on April 13th or whatever the next weekend is, and then Niagara. So it was really cool, honestly, this past weekend, like just playing in like a 35 person, like uh, you know, one of those small store events, right? Like we we don't. We don't get a lot of that. We only get uh, what happens to gaming, et cetera, now, which is awesome that we have that. But, like, there's not, like, that diehard games. You know what I mean? Like, like four or five years ago, I feel like there was more, like, localized 1K sort of action going on. Yeah, but, I mean, even the diehard tournaments, those were 50 to 80 people. You would never have 30 people for one of the bunch of duels, right? No, that's true, yeah. So but the I- the gaming, et cetera, tournaments sort of sort of spoil us in our area but it's nice that there's legacy in more places for sure yeah so i'm gonna obviously be at the the lal and then it'd be cool to make this diehard games thing too and it's interview season for my wife which i mentioned i think last episode so there's a lot of weekends that she's like she's in calgary right now she gets back tomorrow morning uh there's a chance that i will have a bunch of totally unaccountable irresponsible weekends where i just play a whole bunch of legacy before you move to calgary (laughs) and get your cowboy hat and your chaps and find a new legacy group in the in the the tar oil pits of calgary bro i don't have to look too far because our boy's up there tom karen's grinding he was telling me a story about some coyotes getting out in his yard and he had grabbed the rifle and I'm fucking pumped, man. That that's my kind of living up there. I, more power to you for <laughs> for wanting to live in that. As soon as you said my ideal vacation is just living in the freezing cold tundra of some forsaken place, Wrangell Islands. Calgary is a spot for you. Yeah, bro. It you know it's it's the end of the earth, right? I want to. I want to go to the to the ice wall. I want to see the ice wall. What, what are we talking about? Game of Thrones? No, I'm talking about the end of the Earth, man. Like the ice wall. Oh, are you on the Earth is flat deal? Is that is that what we're talking about? I mean, the the Earth is flat. If that's what you're talking about. <sighs> I'm just fucking right. around. I'm sorry. So we, we have I, I can't even I can't even go with this. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are gonna be some people who are listening to the cast that are like, no, Ian, go with it. Fight, fight back. Tell him about it. Jerry's gonna and feel so vindicated. They're when he all hears gonna be this. disappointed. <laughs> oh man. So we had some listener questions too from our Patreon. 
We did, yeah. We had a bunch of questions, actually. Dude, wait, did you check the email? Because I did. Uh, okay, yes. We had an email, and it was from a very nice person named Leon, who said, congratulations on both of our runs to Syracuse, but I don't believe there was any, uh, there was any question. So he was just like saying oh, hi. Sweet. So hi, Leon. Thank you for the email. But that was it. Oh, dude. So going back to my tournament real quick, I forgot to, to get this out. The match I played against Grixis Control was at 3-1, uh, uh, sorry, 2-1. It was a good player. And I was on the Esper build, right? With Academy Ruins and Search for His Canto. And I actually went to decking with like discarding the hand size and recurring things with, with Academy Ruins to draw infinite cards. Because they just couldn't punch through because we traded card for card like the whole the whole way until there was nothing left it was super interesting and i didn't expect that to happen i thought i was gonna be fighting tooth and nail so in game one yeah basically what my my point is that i think a search for his kanta may be yes in game one i think search for his kanta may be the single best card you could play in that matchup yeah i I mean i I flipped it on like turn four and they'd have no no way to deal with the land so I was just drawing an extra card every turn. A, a spell, you know? Yeah, until until you got to where you were just, like, recurring engineered explosives to not die. Yeah, and it was it was incredible. Yeah, and they have no way... They don't have Wasteland. Right. They're not playing Blood Moon or Back to Basics, so they literally have no way to interact with it. So all of the value they're getting from their Snapcasters and Baleful Strix, you just get to double yep. with your with your search. I it like was that. pretty. It was pretty incredible, man. I I really cannot say enough good things about Search for Scandal. I've been, of all the crazy cards I've tested, that one's not crazy. That one's fucking legit. That makes sense. I feel like it's probably a liability in the Delver matchup. But... So you would think that a lot of people have said that to me too, but there is like playing a two into a daze, right? Well, but... two into daze, power blast. And I guess the Wasteland is less relevant right? because exactly. that Wasteland would have been aimed at one of your other lands anyway. Right, So, and you don't have to flip it. So you can just use it as like, if you're if you're light on lands, it can dig to lands, and then if you're truly light on lands, it can flip to cast a Ponder or something. So it actually plays really well against Wasteland. It doesn't play well against Pyroblast, but it does play really well against Wasteland in my, in my testing so far. I got you. I mean, but, it's a it's a great card. Yeah. I would, w- when you said that you were considering it for Esper, that was always just a card that I sort of considered spotting or slotting perfectly into Miracles. But man, it gets your Planeswalkers, it gets your discard. It yeah. it seems like it does a bunch of work. It's pretty sweet, and they're on uh, they're on back to basics. So in the main, like in the past few weeks, they've been on back to basics in the main. So I can kind of see why they weren't going in that direction. And you still did see some people incorporate it anyway. But it's super sweet in my opinion. All right. So listener questions. So the the first question, well, we kind of addressed. Somebody asked us about uh, our buddy Jeremy Tibbetts with the Lavinia, his experience. He thought, to sum, to sum it up, he thought it was a good card, but he never drew it. Uh, the same person, actually, which is Raycelin, asked us why there was a blue-white blade deck playing Counterbalance in the sideboard over Canonist. Uh, did you want to speak to this one? 
Well, counterbalance is great in the tempo matchups. Man, if you're if you're playing blue white stone blade, or even if you're playing blue white delver, having a counterbalance in play in the delver mirror or against combo is just absolutely insane. And my friend Jake had counterbalance in his delver sideboard because okay. it's that impactful in the tempo mirrors. So counterbalance is a great card. And since there isn't top in the format, a lot of people aren't giving it the respect that it deserves. So um, one, you could say Snapcaster Mage is anti-synergistic with Canonist. And counterbalance is kind of underrated and people don't expect it out of Blue White Delver or Blue White Stoneblade. So it's it, it really does some powerful things. Yeah, and it fucks up how people play against you totally. Like everybody just assumes that you have it all the time and needs to like pick a spot, right? So just just the psychological disruption of having it on board has got to be worth quite a bit. Yeah, playing against blind counterbalance flips is obviously difficult. And there aren't there aren't a lot of people that understand how to successfully bait flips to see whether or not your important spells are going to resolve. But while people are doing all of that, it slows the game down. And that's the important part. So if you have an opponent that's on some sort of a tempo game plan, you play counterbalance. If they shift gears and try to play against the counterbalance, you're getting into the mid game to where your Stoneforge and True Name are going to take over. And that that's something that counterbalances a lot better than Canonist. Obviously, Canonist is better against Storm, but counterbalance is more applicable in all matchups. Yeah, so was he playing two uh, Snapcasters then? He was only on one. Okay. Because, yeah, that does make a lot of sense with the anti-synergy that you were, you were mentioning. And, yeah, you know, just having it, like, as a psychological disruptor. And then sometimes it's like a three for one, you know, sometimes people just play into it and just get bitten. Sometimes you get a little lucky too. So it, it's, it's a great card and it's something that I messed around with in my sideboard too this week. I I agree. And, you know, like we talked about with, with search and with other cards in the past, like, unfortunately it is blue, but once it resolves, it's pretty tough to tag with a blast. Uh, yeah you're absolutely right so rich uh our buddy rich spoonholes asked us he was on like a fucking crusade last week about this actually he was posting on twitter he was trying to kick up shit wherever he could why does everyone in the northeast play blood moon as their chalice deck of choice he was very heavily implying that it was incorrect and that we should be playing aldrazi because it beats the other Chalice Mirrors. So, obviously, Eldrazi versus Blue-White. Uh, it, it's still not good for either of them, but Eldrazi probably has a better chance of winning than Blood Moon. But the reason that people are picking up Blood Moon is because it beats up on the other Chalice decks. Eldrazi, Eldrazi Post, Four Color Loam. Blood Moon is just a bad matchup for them. And... Obviously, Eldrazi is better against the decks that are playing enough basics to where Blood Moon doesn't matter. But a lot of those decks right now are blue-white. And Eldrazi doesn't do a significantly better job against 
Stoneforge in true name than Blood Moon does. In fact, Eldrazi doesn't have Trinisphere. And I think the big move in the Blood Moon deck to play more Trinisphere main deck makes it makes it a slightly better choice than Eldrazi. Yeah, and Tr- there, Tr- Trinisphere is a card. There's an older move that they made too, which is to the the main deck uh, Fiery Confluence, up to sometimes even four of them, that I think just makes Blood Moon better against the Blue-White Stoneblade deck than Eldrazi even is too. Yeah, well, I mean, Confluence is clunky. That's almost always going to get tagged by something. Well, but... against Delver probably, but against the like the blue white Stoneblade deck where it takes longer to develop. Okay, I I can see that. It, it's yeah. it's certainly like worrisome. Yes, I can agree with that. And then you can always just get like sixed out of nowhere, and then the game's over. And like with the way that they develop too, like four mana on turn three, they could still play around a spell pierce, you know. They they sometimes just have you know the the ancient tomb chromox start and then play a mountain and then play a city of traders and they're on six mana, so I I would personally rather face Eldrazi than Blood Moon, as as for Stoneblade. Yeah, I think I think, Blood I, think that just I would also rather face Eldrazi, because Trinisphere does a number on the Delver deck. Okay, yeah, I I just think Blood Moon is just really good and like the thing we've talked about time and time again now like the legion war boss like the eight rabble nine rabble builds that's just a fucking whole nother game you have to play with them you know it's like sometimes they keep a hand that's like turn one rabble turn two rabble and you're getting ready to fight against a chalice and you have like a distant chant and a force of will or whatever and they have a cavern and you just get fucked you know does that deck play cavern no not really anymore that was more of an older thing but okay the, yeah, when they yeah. when they played Mod Catcher for sure. Yeah, yeah, but you know, what I'm trying to say is that they can attack you from a lot of different angles. I know Eldrazi can too with with Thought Not Seer and Embringer and such, but I have a lot of respect for the Blood Moon deck. Me too. Me too. Especially after losing to it a few times when I thought my matchup was okay, uh, it it's powerful. Yeah, and obviously you... it's it's draw dependent, but yeah. it can definitely get there. If you don't win the die roll, especially, I, I don't think that if they win the die roll and have a great turn one hand against you, I think it's not built battle for anybody. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's what the deck is built around. Yep. So it's, it's sort of like those black red reanimator on the play hands, only you exactly. don't die until turn five or six. Yep. So this, the the final questions that we got, this was a IRL question. Somebody, actually, a couple people asked us in Syracuse, and I feel like you're not going to want to talk about this, are you? No, I'm 100% ready to talk about this because we really? we are going to have another wager, which oh, I don't know. Yes! I don't know if we know. <laughs> Please, what what like? Please, what what the record is? But you you have yet to get a win. It's it's one zero. I lost the jet the turning Japanese bet for sure. The the Lavinia bet wasn't actually a Lavinia bet. It was a a Dovin Bond versus the 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 Azorius girl bet. Which you're talking about Dovin Bond versus Kaya. Yes. Which Dovin Bond ended up in the sideboard of Max's blue white Delver deck and Brian Gottlieb's blue white Delver deck that he wrote about on Star City. 
Which did not play any games, right? Listen, listen, listen. It was there. It was there. All right. So we're going to go 1-0 with an asterisk. But now you feel really comfortable about your take on this next one. And I think think you're going to get shook. Okay. I really, I really hope that we're talking about Baleful Strikes right now. Oh no! I thought we were talking oh. about how many how many legacy playables we were going to get. Oh no! I don't have I... a strong feel on that. Oh I, okay. I thought you were going to go back to the Baleful Strikes argument. No, I think it's going to get reprinted. I think it's going to be in modern. Oh okay. We, I think for... I think we share our opinion on that, but we we had the talk about how many legacy playable cards you thought were going to come out of Modern Horizons, you were like, let's say the over-under is nine and a half. Yeah. And I, I'm taking the over on that. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. Because I, you were you were very on the under plan, right? Uh, I was on under 10, but then I stopped to think, and I was like, well, I bet it's at least eight. So then I was like, well, I guess it's nine and a half over-under. Um, I thought that that was a really fair over-under. I'm not really strong. So what if we go ten and a half and I go under? I'm I'm okay with that. I think they're that when they when they design cards for modern, which this whole set is designed to be, yeah, and half of the set is new, that you're you're gonna see some cards see some splash into legacy. Yeah. Now you saw you saw a card that was made for standard make splashes in modern and legacy. We're talking about Arcolite Phoenix and even cards like Light Up the Stage and Terramander are seeing seeing a resurge or seeing a surge in Legacy. So those are cards that weren't weren't designed for Legacy. They are those were, cards seeing play in modern? Yeah, I, I, I don't it's know. It's a full. It's a literally the best modern deck. Light up now, the stage. Light up the, light up the stage. No, but okay. Arclight Phoenix. Yeah, I knew sure. Arclight Phoenix. I, I I didn't know about Light Up the Stage and Terramander. Yeah, I, I don't believe that those are actually in the deck yet. Okay. But I feel like I feel like 10, 10 cards, it, they're going to make their way into Legacy. So there's this weird there's this weird thing though, like with Force of Will, right? Because I've heard some people talk about this so far. Like if if they print Force of Will in the set, first of all, I think that would be fine to put it in modern, but it and it wouldn't impact Legacy at all because it's just Force of Will. Right. But if they print something similar to Force of Will, how that could impact Legacy, right? Like, if oh, they having wanna... multiple copies of a card like that. Yeah, like you know, to to finally answer that question, like how many would you play? Would you play five, six, seven, eight? You know what I mean? Like, I think I think it depends on the meta. I think right now, right. You could you could argue that you don't even want four in your main deck. Exactly. But if you're just right. playing against Blue Mirrors, you probably only want three. So I played three main in uh, this tournament this past weekend. I totally agree with what you're saying, but I think that that they're. I I don't know. It's tough to say, man. Because it, like if they go that direction of like not reprinting force, but printing like a, a card similar to force that is of a power level that could be included as a one two of in legacy to supplement force, mm-hmm. then we could be looking at a fuck ton of playables. Like, is that what you you foresee? Well, I, I foresee them pushing the limits on the new cards they print because they want to make money. Yeah. So, like, why wouldn't they? If they want to tweak Modern a little bit and give some support to some decks that might not have had it, like an actual control deck, and reprint Counterspell or put 
something like days into the format to give a tempo deck a little bit of an edge because modern hasn't really had a delver tempo deck you could you could see the reprints significantly affecting modern but i mean the new cards the new cards is where they're going to make their money and if they're selling the set for $200 a box they need to put some cards in it that are new they're going to move the set out the door and if they're moving those cards for modern there's a very good chance that they're going to splash in a legacy yeah that's a good point man i i i definitely see where you're coming from here so my question my addendum to this that i had just asked because it was on my mind is this set has like 100 new cards and 150 reprints or something along those lines Yep. But the cards that are strictly legacy but not reserve lists that are reprintable aren't yeah. really worth anything anymore. They, they've all been reprinted already, like Caracas or Back to Basics, those kind of cards. Right. So it's that's just, why... It's just Force of Will, really. Well, so the... I mean, so but but not even Force of Will. Like, the, the way they're going to make this money on this set is not with the reprints. It's going to be new cards. Right, right, I agree. Which so, is why I think that those new cards are going to be pushed, and we're going to see 11 or more playables. So let's say that a Mythic from this new set... So this new set, we've, we've already found out, is going to be like... There's no MSRP, but it's approximately going to be $7 a pack based on the distributor cost, right? So what what does the a Mythic cost? If there's a brand new card in this set that's at the level of an Arclight Phoenix where it's a 4X in Modern and a 4X in Legacy in, in real decks. Yep. What does that card cost coming only out of brand new $7 packs? I mean, 70 bucks. Like, Arclight Phoenix was in a was in a standard released set yep. that sold for whatever a pack. And it's 30 bucks in paper, 55 bucks online. Yep. And if you see that sort of card from something in this set I, I mean i don't think that you could just straight up double it because that's the that's what is going on with the msrp but it's going to be significantly higher i think yeah i think i think that that's actually a reasonable guess not not that that's exactly how the math works but i do think that doubling it would not be out of the question and i also think that it, obviously it depends on what the other cards are in the set right like right yeah. The the EV of a box is going to get soaked between more things yeah. if the cards are good. So if there are multiple cards that are great in multiple formats, then it's going to keep those prices down. But if there's just one and it's a mythic, you could see it at $70, $75. And there's stuff they can do, like print, like Ristic Study It on Common. You know what I mean? Like Path to Exile, or not Path to Exile, but, you know, like Commander cards. Help Commander cards pay for this box, right? And I think I think we're 100% going to see that. Yeah. What, what I kind of feel bad about is there are some cards that are in Modern right now that really need a reprint. So yeah. missing out on being able to reprint Surgical Extraction in this set because of how they set it up is a real, it, it's a real downer. Are you laughing straight to the bank? Well, I mean, I have... I So I <laughs> built a bunch of my legacy decks and I don't change my sideboards. I just buy extra cards. 
So I have 12 copies of Surgical. What? 12? Bucks. I, yeah. thought I, I felt good with my four, man. Yeah, I have Korean foils. And like, wow. I... Yeah. But I, I mean, like, I'm too lazy to sell them. Uh, but if you want Korean foil, Surgical Extractions, hit me up. We can work out a deal. <laughs> if you want regular foils, just holler at me. But yeah, that that's amazing, man. I didn't know you had those. So... The scalding tarn is apparently like a hundred dollars now. I heard. Well, I mean, it's been a hundred dollars before, right? I guess, yeah, but not since the reprint. Certainly, it was like fifty forever, right? Right. I can't believe it spiked again, but we're we're at a point now where Arena is pulling in all these new Magic players, and they need cards, and they don't want to play with shitty cards. So all the good old cards are going to be expensive. That's what happens. Yeah, it's fucking wild, bro. Like, where are they going to reprint Scalding Tarn? Uh, in the next Master set that they're going to announce in about six months with their return to Masters after they announce that they're going yeah. to be for a while. Like, Re- return right to Modern there. Masters, bro. That's yeah. going to be... Wait, are we... Yeah, we're, we're... It's 2019, man. We're on, like... We're on the Master, Modern Masters timeline still. So, there you go. Yeah. They're, they're, it's got to come, right? I mean, they're they're going to do it. There's so much money to be made. They might as well. What if they I, just do I like one like of those? I feel like they could they could just pull the plug and put it in a standard set. What about those like uh, standard sucker boxes that are like two fifty? What if they just put like like five fetch lands and three other random cards in there? Or you bring them back as an expedition? Right. Yeah. Like they, they have they have so much flexibility in what they can do, and understand that any card that's not on the reserve list that ends up hitting that price point, they are going to reprint in a way that's going to make them the most amount of money. And that's exactly what they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm impressed, honestly. I think that they, they've handled this really well from a company standpoint. I I guess I don't give them enough credit or based on some strange decisions over the past couple of years, they've eroded some of their credit in my mind. But they've handled this fucking masterfully. Well, if drawing a whole bunch of new players into the game, everything that they do is going to be great as long as there's a new player influx into the game. Right. So keep on getting new players in. Prices for older cards are going to shoot up. They can do whatever they want with the reprints and make a ton of money. And that's the cycle they need to be on. So keep on pushing Arena. Yeah, so Leovold, when we were at Grand Prix Louisville, I I had four Leovolds because I bought a bunch of Conspiracy 2 boxes, and I sold one for $55 fucking dollars on the floor of Louisville. Yeah, well, that card was the shit. It was, but it was never a four of. And well, it was, I played it as a three of. Right, I did too, but it was it was basically just us playing it as a three of and, and maybe re-dupe, but there was, it was a two of in, like, Grixis Control, and... It was a great card back when Death Ray was legal. But um, it was banned in Commander pretty much right away, right? And it was never legal in Modern. And it's still, in a $4 set, $55. Now, it's not exactly the same because this other set will have a lot more cards that are in high demand than Conspiracy 2 did. But I, I think that we could see some fucking crazy prices out of this set. Yeah, and I think play design... If you only looking at the two cards that have been spoiled, I feel like play design kind of pushed it because they wanted it to make an impact on the meta in modern. 
and you have to make the cards good. And when you do that, they're going to slip into other eternal formats. Like you understand that if they're trying to push something, the standard deviation of what they were aiming for and what actually comes out is going to be kind of wide. So there's going to be some card that just completely overperforms because the testing team didn't completely understand how it was going to fit in. And we're going to, we're going to see a lot of things come from this set. I, I mean, hopefully that's my prediction. So for our bet, we kind of have to define playables, right? Because... Right. So how, how do we do this? Do we do challenge top 32s no. over the course of the first two months? There, there's too many. It, it would have to be challenge five, two or better at least. Like we can't have four threes in the challenge. Okay. So 10 different cards making an impact in that. That's, that's a very steep bar to hit. Well, when does it come out? It comes out in June, right? Yeah. So we're not talking there's about no big anything events. until the summer. Yeah. There's no, there's no like, you know, we can count Star City uh, classics if there are any in that period of time. I think there's a Star City Invitational, so there should at least be one big classic. So I think, I think maybe when we do our set review as we're going through, we try to classify the new cards as whether or not they're playable or not. And yeah. we can have an argument about those cards then, but we'll see if there's more than 10. Yeah. For sure. Like, so would you classify the new Cabal Therapist as, as a playable? I think that's borderline. I wouldn't, I wouldn't super argue about it. I, I don't, I don't think it is. Cause like there's a universe where it's a playable, but I wouldn't call it a playable. right? Yeah. So. I wouldn't, I wouldn't straight up go for it as a legacy playable card right now for okay. sure. All right. So right now of the two cards that have gotten spoiled, I don't think either of them are legacy playable. All right. Then we're I on think... the same page. Yeah, so we can we can talk about it during our set review, but there's a lot of stuff to come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm definitely stoked about it, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they do this right. We get some old borders, you know, for the set. Maybe old border, uh, old border two hundred and fifty dollar box cards. Yeah, hell yeah! I hope uh, hope everyone enjoyed our MTG finance cast. This was not the MTG Finance cast. This was the Blue White Delver and Esper cast. All right. I'm, I'm game for that. So we, our finance cast is yet to come, as you just heard from Tom, where it's coming up soon. We uh, thank you to all our patrons. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter, Tom? At TSmileyMTG. And you can find the cast at Dead Format Cast. Also in our Patreon, literally after I hang up the phone, I'm putting up the sideboard guide for the for the new version of the Blue White Delver deck. So if you if you're in our Discord or if you know somebody in our Discord, you can get a copy of that. And if you actually want a copy of it and you're not in either, uh, you send us an email at deadformatcast@gmail.com and I'll shoot it over to you. So wait, what are you doing after this? Uh, I'm posting the. Sorry. What, was, what was that? I was trying I to get the air horn. I was trying purpose. to get the air horn going. I'm sorry. I I got you. I'm I'm posting up the cyborg guide for the new version of the Delver deck I have. <laughs> That's not the right sound effect. <laughs>
Fuck, all right. Well, that's pretty cool, though. That's value. Yo is going to be very happy about that. Yeah. Well, I told them I was going to get it to him on Friday, and I haven't fucking finished writing it yet, so. Yeah, we told them that it was coming. It's still coming. <laughs> that's that's the theme of this episode. So, yeah, if you want to find me on Twitter, at Ian18125. I'm not sure if I've tweeted the past week, but I'll try to do this week. And if you want to send the cast an email, deadformatcast at gmail.com. All right, man, that's a wrap.